0: Well, good morning. This morning, we get to continue our series on the big ideas of the Bible. We're going to talk about anthropology this morning, uh, which is the study of mankind. And uh, as I was thinking about the topic this week, I was remembering uh, a moment from a few years ago uh, with my kids. We were sitting at the breakfast table and we were eating normal breakfast food, but, but my daughter, my middle daughter Abigail, was eating yogurt, one of those little plastic containers of yogurt. And uh, we were talking around the breakfast table and there was kind of a lull in the conversation. And uh, Abigail looked down at her yogurt and then looked up at me and she was about six at this time. And she said, I wonder what it must feel like to be my yogurt. And uh, there was kind of this pause as we all pondered that question, I remember thinking, what an existential question for a six-year-old to ask. What does it feel like to be yogurt? Now, your first response to that is it feels like nothing, right? Yogurt is not alive. But then you start thinking about it and you think, but it is alive, right? Because uh, there are bacterial cultures all throughout your yogurt. There are living beings inside the yogurt that you eat. So the question is, uh, do bacteria have souls? Uh, When you eat the yogurt, does your soul fuse with the bacteria soul that's in the yogurt? So now you're part bacterial. That's a question you have to answer when you think about that. And uh, of course, some of you are thinking, well, that's a ridiculous thought. Bacteria, of course, don't have souls, but let's move up the animal life change just a little bit? What if you bring fried chicken to our picnic after church and you eat a bucket of fried chicken? Are you part chicken, right? Will you be afraid of foxes or develop little feathers or begin to think or act like a chicken? Is there something in you? Because we say it all the time. You are what you eat, right? So is there something in you if you eat a chicken that is now part chicken? Now, again, you say, why are you asking these types of silly questions? Now, here's why. Because all of us on some level are always asking the question, what makes me, me? What is it about a person that constitutes the person? Is it my body? Am I simply a combination of my genetics and what I eat And my physical material, is that who I am? So that when I feel and think and love, really maybe what's going on is a series of chemical reactions in my brain and all I am is a really complicated, self-aware machine. That is one way to think about humanity. Or is there something else within me, a spirit, a soul, whatever you want to call it, that drives how I think and how I act? I have never been to a doctor and had a headache or a stomachache and had the doctor say to me, the problem you have is that your soul is diseased. Because that's not what medical doctors typically do, is it? They focus on the physical body for the most part. But most of us would say, I don't think we're just physical because even when I think about uh, the idea that I don't feel like just a machine, we're acknowledging on some level that there's something else that drives who we are. As soon as we start asking questions like, who am I? What constitutes me? We are delving into an area of theology called anthropology. Anthropology is the study of mankind. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It comes, the word anthropology comes from a Greek word, anthropos. And uh, the word is used in social sciences. It's used in scientific study. Uh, We're going to look at biblical anthropology this morning. Very simply, what does the Bible say about who we are and consequently how we relate with one another and how we relate to God? There are few questions more significant than the question of who am I? What makes up my nature? Those are the types of things we're going to look at this morning. And, and fundamentally, this is the concept uh, that we're going to see this morning. We are beautifully made, but badly broken. All right? Beautifully made, but badly broken. Here's what I mean, that you and I are made, we'll see, in the image of God. That means that we have capacities and abilities that no other animal in creation possesses. We have the opportunity to relate with God in ways that no other creature can. But at the same time, we're broken because of sin. So uh, if you imagine I'm sure some of you have had the experience of purchasing a new or slightly used car. Right? And maybe you spend 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50,000 dollars on a vehicle. And when you buy it, it's beautiful to you. Right? You can smell that new car. Smell, you can see the shiny paint on the outside of that car, and you drive it around, and it's this beautiful machine, and you love it. Maybe you name it. I know some of you have named your vehicles, and then you park it one day next to the grocery store, and you come out, and somebody has keyed that beautiful vehicle. And now, forever, it is damaged. It's made to be beautiful, but it's broken. Theologically, We have keyed our own car. You and I have been made in God's image, designed to reflect him. And yet because of our sin, we've taken a key and we've defaced the image that God has created. And the only solution we'll see is the gospel itself. So when we talk about anthropology, we're going to see that it informs how we think about ourselves, it informs how we think about and interact with other people, and it informs deeply how we interact with God himself. Because the only solution to our problem is the intervention of God to restore what he made. So we're beautifully made, but badly broken. We're going to look at both of those concepts in some detail this morning. Where I want to start, of course, is the idea that we are beautifully made. First of all, when we say that we're beautifully made, uh, what we are saying is that we are made in God's image. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, right at the very beginning of the scripture, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female He created them. Now, we often talk about being made in the image of God, but I'm not sure we really think about what it means. I was thinking this week about a story my grandfather told me about when his daughters, he had three daughters, and he told me a story about when they were young. Uh, My aunt Becky was the youngest of his three children, and he said one day Becky came to him when she was, I don't know, late childhood, maybe eight or ten, and she said, Dad, I think that I was not born into this family. Uh, I think I was either adopted or maybe kidnapped. And uh, her dad said, well, why in the world would you think something like that? And she said, because there are hardly any photos of me as a baby with this family. Now, those of you who have multiple kids uh, know that once you have a third child... Uh, you simply don't have time to take photos anymore, right? Your hands are too full to even hold the camera. You're just trying to keep people alive. And so uh, she began to suspect, though, that maybe the reason there were so few photos was because she wasn't really a part of the family. Maybe she had been secretly adopted or kidnapped. And my grandfather told me, he said, I had to think about how to encourage her that, in fact, she was born into this family. So he said, here's what I did. I walked her into the bathroom, and we looked at the mirror, and I said, Becky, look at the mirror. Look at your face. Look at my face, right? Uh, My family has a Lebanese background, so we have this prominent nose. He said, look at your nose. Look at my nose. Look at your dark hair. Look at, of course, my grandfather was bald, but he had dark hair (laughs) around the edges at the time. Look at me. Look at you. You are mine. You look like me. Right, when we talk about the image of God in humanity, what we mean is that in certain ways, we look like God himself. No other creature on the planet is said to bear the image of God. Other creatures are said to have the breath of life, but no other creature is said to bear the The image of God. And and we have to look for a moment at what does it mean then specifically when we say that we are made in the image of God? In what ways do we look like our Father? To be made in the image of God then, first of all, uh, means that we have the opportunity to reflect His character. We have the opportunity to reflect His character. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the whole congregation of the Israelites and tell them, You must be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. All right, so when we talk about the image of God, one of the things it means is that you and I can be holy like God is holy. No other animal in creation is given that command. Uh, this is repeated, by the way, in first Peter uh, to the church. You are to be holy, set apart like God is holy. You and I have the potential to reflect the righteousness of God and to represent Him. Some of you, uh, no doubt, were aware a few weeks ago of the dust up involving Harambe the gorilla, uh, the gorilla at the Cincinnati Zoo who was ultimately shot, right? Because a young boy, a four year old boy, fell into, climbed into his enclosure. And in order to save the child, the zoo employees shot and killed the gorilla. Now, of course, it was a big controversy because uh, the question was, should they have killed this gorilla, right? And so uh, people said those who shot the gorilla, maybe the zoo, should be held morally accountable, for shooting this beautiful creature. Others said maybe the uh, boy's family, his parents should be held morally accountable for losing sight of him and allowing him to fall into the gorilla enclosure. Now, what was interesting in all this debate was, you know what nobody ever said was maybe we should hold the gorilla morally accountable for threatening the boy. Now, why did nobody say that? Why did nobody say, you know, Harambe needs to pay us a fine of his best bananas because of what he did. Harambe needs to go to jail because of what he did. Nobody talked about punishing an animal for acting like an animal. Why is that? Because we don't expect animals to have the moral capacity to think about these types of decisions. But we expect it of people, don't we? So our minds automatically in a situation like that go to who is to blame? What should they have done? Because being made in God's image on some level means that we have the capacity to make moral choices. This is why in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are condemned because they're given a choice to obey or to disobey as image bearers So to be made in the image of God, at least in part, means that we can reflect the character of God. Uh, To be made in the image of God also means on some level that we can relate to him spiritually. Uh, When we talk about the composition of mankind, and and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, what we see is that we are composed of body and spirit. So we relate to God on a spiritual level, again, in a way that no other creature is able to. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We have an ability to connect with God spiritually in a unique way, which is why the gospel is for people. It is why Jesus died and rose again to save humanity so that humanity could be restored from our sin to again connect with God as we are supposed to connect with God. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were able to walk and talk with God in the Garden. They connected with him on a personal and spiritual level because they're made in his image. Just as one human can talk to another human in a way that we cannot talk to a monkey, or a chicken, or a bacteria. A human being made in the image of God can connect with and relate to his or her heavenly Father. So that in the book of Philippians, talking about the spiritual life, Paul will say, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, the aim of the Christian life is to know God more and more and more. We are the only creature on God's earth that says, I want to know God. Even those who do not believe in God often ask the question, is he out there? Can I relate to him? Can I know him? Is there something else within me that is spiritual in nature? Because to be made in the image of God is to be able to connect with him spiritually. Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Only human beings have the opportunity to have a restored spirit that connects with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So to be made in the image of God is to be able to reflect God's perfect character. It's to be able to connect with God spiritually. And then thirdly, to be made in the image of God is actually to radiate His glory. Now, this is interesting. What I mean by this is that our bodies were actually designed to radiate the glory of God. Now, that may surprise you uh, because right now none of us are particularly shiny. I may be because of these lights up here, right? But I am not reflecting glory from within myself. But uh, notice Daniel chapter 12, Daniel says this about the end of days when Christ returns those who are wise will shine. Like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, like stars forever and ever. In Psalm chapter 8, David compares people to the sun and the moon and the stars, and talks about the glory of humanity when compared with the sun, moon, and stars. Now you say, uh, isn't this just a metaphor? Maybe it's just a metaphor. Shining means we somehow reflect God's character, and maybe it's a metaphor for that. The reason I don't think it is, is because of an incident that we see. In the book of Exodus. Uh, Think about the book of Exodus, particularly chapter 34. Uh, It tells us that Moses would go in and he would commune with God and talk to God. And you know what would happen to Moses when he was in the presence of God and he emerged from that tent after talking to God? It says his face would shine with the glory of God. So that he actually had to veil himself. Because the people were afraid of the radiating glory of God coming from Moses' physical body. When Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, he shone with a bright light. So that Paul will use this same idea even in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the image of Jesus Christ. So to be made in the image of God means we reflect his moral character. It means we relate to him spiritually. It means we are designed, in fact, to radiate his glory. And of course, what we'll see is that our bodies don't do that like they ought to do that. And ultimately, that's because of sin. But that's how we're designed. We are designed in the image of God. We are designed to be body and spirit. We are designed of both material and immaterial components, so as you look at the scripture, what you see is that there is flesh and there is spirit. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, I want to uh, help us avoid two opposing errors when we think about how we're composed, and what the image of God looks like in us. One error is what we could call materialistic monism. Now, that's a big word, but let me just explain what I mean. Monism is a word that simply means there's only one type of stuff. Okay? So materialistic monism would say all we are is the physical uh, this is obviously the prevailing view of our secular world and of secular science, that there is nothing spiritual. There's no ghost in the machine, so to speak. You are composed of molecules and chemicals and things that make you tick. Uh, the songwriter David Wilcox uh, put it this way in his song, Big Mistake. He says, they taught us kids in school between the recess breaks that the universe just sort of fell together like a big mistake and started with a bang that sent the pieces flying, and then it cooled and twirled into dinosaurs and dandelions. It was a big mistake to have eyes that see, to have love like this inside of me, to have lips that smile as I swim your kiss, to have minds that will forever every part of this. And that's his tongue-in-cheek way of pointing out what is one of the prevailing ideas of our world, which is we are simply matter apart from spirit. Think about, for a moment, uh, your computer at home or your iPhone. It's not self-aware, is it? At least you hope it is not. It doesn't make moral choices. It's simply a machine. And in fact, one of the common themes, of course, of science fiction is what would happen if our robots and machines became self-aware and took over the world? Uh, People have been experimenting with that concept ever since... There have been machines, and yet it's never happened because part of how we are composed is body and spirit. And from a Christian perspective, it is the spiritual that truly gives us the ability to be self-aware, to connect with God, to have a consciousness that exceeds that of the animals and certainly exceeds that of machines. So Jesus will also say in John chapter 4, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. To be human is to have an immaterial spirit. But the other opposing error we want to avoid is to minimize the significance of the physical body as well. Uh, There are religions who deny, in fact, the physical uh, Christian science is one. Scientology is another. Neither of them are scientific, right? Because they both deny the physical body. Uh, neither of them are Christian either, right? It's been said Christian science is neither Christian nor scientific because it denies the presence of the physical body. But what's interesting is as you look through Scripture, we are certainly composed of body and spirit together. And the two are meant to go together. And in fact, at death, when our spirit separates from our bodies, that's intended to be temporary. Because the great Christian hope that we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is bodily resurrection. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was a bodily resurrection. The disciples could touch the scars in his hands and his side. Jesus, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, actually ate. Fish, after his bodily resurrection. Body and spirit together is a part of how we are composed. So that as we look throughout the New Testament, when we talk about uh, how we ought to act and relate to God, the body is a huge part of that. First Thessalonians 5, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be presented complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will exhort us in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And later in chapter 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I was walking uh, with my son, Near a creek that sits not too far from our house, a little trail by a creek, and as we walked through this creek, uh, we looked down on the path, and there was a snake skin on the path, a long I don't know, three or four foot snake skin. And so he looked down and we talked about it for a minute. We talked about how uh, when snakes Uh, shed their skin, they leave it wherever they shed it, right? And so every so often, some of you who know more about snakes could probably tell me, I've spent a lot of my life deliberately avoiding knowing about snakes, right? And getting close to them. But uh, snakes periodically will shed that skin, right? And they just kind of shake out of it and then they move on. I think some of us view the human body like that. We go, you know what? One day my great hope is I will just go, right? And I will just shake free of the body like a snake skin. That perspective is deeply unbiblical because the great hope of the Christian experience involves bodily resurrection, a renewed, restored, perfect body able to reflect God's glory forever and ever, to shine like the sun. Many of us long to be free of our physical bodies because our physical bodies do not work like we would like them to work. Right? Anybody over the age of 30 or 35 is beginning to understand this, right? You wake up in the morning and you feel less than glorious. Right? Your body aches. It begins to put on extra pounds. It even begins to fade. And the older you get, your, your skin will look darker and grayer, and your hair will look darker. And grayer. So if you're like me, your kids use the silver crayon to color your head, right? Because our bodies begin to diminish. But we're designed to reflect the glory of God. So we are made in God's image, composed of body and spirit together. We are beautifully made. God has made us over and above all of his creation to reflect him. The idea of how God made us ought to challenge us with regard to how we think of ourselves and how we think about other people. Because the reality is no matter how you feel, God has designed you as one of his preeminent creatures. You are beautifully made, fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter how you feel on any given day, God has designed you for a purpose, to know him, to reflect him, to love him. The image of God also deeply affects how we interact with others. Every person you meet, male or female, of whatever race, of whatever ability level, of whatever age, of whatever attractiveness, every person you meet is made in the image of God. So that we will often talk to our kids about the image of God and tell them, there's a reason that we ask you to look people in the eye when you speak with them. It's not mere Southern politeness. It's because when I look you in the eye, I acknowledge you are a human being worthy of my attention and my respect. And here's why. Because God has given us his attention, his respect, and his love. I say things like please and thank you and exhibit politeness, not because we are simply people who are Southern and polite, but because doing so acknowledges that the other individual is a human With moral choices made in the image of God that I am bound by the scripture to respect. And so, when we talk about some of the issues, even that divide our culture in our day, when we talk about things like race, and we talk about things like gender, and we talk about men and women who have disabilities. What informs us as Christians and how we treat others is not our politics, but the word of God that says everybody you meet is an eternal creation of God, made to know him, made in his image, and therefore worthy of respect. So we are beautifully made. But the bad news, of course, is that we are also very badly broken. That sin has defaced the image of God It has defaced our bodies, and it has defaced our spirits. A few of you will remember uh, about 25, 26 years ago, the launching of the Hubble telescope into space. And you'll remember that the Hubble telescope was designed as the most expensive piece of equipment that NASA had designed up to that point. It ended up costing $2.5 billion to construct an enormous, extremely accurate machine. And many of you will remember that they launched it into space, ready to see what this enormous machine could accomplish. And the images that it sent back at first were blurry and out of focus. They had built a $2.5 billion paperweight. Because on the scale of nanometers, they had carved the main mirror incorrectly. They actually had to fly out there and fix it. Huge expensive machine, fatally flawed. That's us. God has designed us beautifully in his image of eternal value to him. And yet we are fatally and deeply flawed. See what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to disobey is that they were separated spiritually from God and separated from God in a way that has infected all of us. So now from the moment we are born, we have inherited their sin. So that Paul will say in Romans chapter 5, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that when they sinned, God said to them, you will die. They died on the day they ate from the fruit because death is separation from God. And then their bodies like ours began to decay until the moment that they were laid in the ground, dust to dust. Because we're badly, badly broken. And what we see biblically is that we have inherited the sin of Adam and Eve but we have also embraced it at the same time so that we are born into sin, but we choose to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've inherited this disease, and then we engage in behaviors that only make us sicker and sicker and sicker until we die. Think about it this way. You may at some point have been told, by your doctor that you have a genetic predisposition to heart disease because maybe your grandfather and your father died of heart disease at a certain age. And so the doctor will say, you need to be aware that you have inherited this condition, this disease. And you say, okay, I got it. But I love French fries. And so you convince yourself that they are Not that bad because it's waffle fries from Chick-fil-A, right? And why would Chick-fil-A hurt you? eh? (laughs) And so you eat them every day for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And you know you've inherited this sickness, but you also dive into behaviors that will make it worse, right? And so those arteries harden and eventually, if you don't stop, you die. That is a picture of what sin has done to us. And the really bad news is we can't even stop because we're so sick. We don't even know at times when we are engaging in behaviors that will kill us, in thought patterns that will kill us, in heart attitudes that will kill us because our minds don't think properly due to sin. Our hearts don't feel and engage with God and others as we should. Because of sin. Our bodies don't work like they ought to because of sin. And so the sin of Adam and Eve has infected the entire world so that Paul will rightly say in Romans chapter 8 that the entire creation groans for redemption because of sin. We're going to talk in detail next week about the biblical doctrine of sin. But I'm introducing it this week because you cannot separate sin from the image of God. Because when we say we're made in the image of God, of course, the question is, then why don't we always look like it? And the reason is because of sin. We are deeply and badly broken, right? And the only solution is the gospel itself. You and I have been beautifully made, but badly broken. We can't even stop the behaviors that are destroying us, the mindsets that are destroying us. And so what God did in Jesus Christ is he sent his only son, fully God, fully man, to take the penalty for our sin. And then the scripture uses imagery of washing and regeneration, right? Cleansing us from sin and making us something new. So that if you have trusted in what Jesus did, you have eternal life again, the capacity to relate to God spiritually, and then the ability again to listen to his spirit and obey. And throughout this life, we are being transformed from glory to glory in the image of him. And one day, the day will come when our bodies and our spirits and our minds are restored to be all that God intended them to be. So we will shine like the stars, right? But the gospel is our only hope to be forgiven of sin, to be washed clean from sin and to have the restored capacities that God desires us to have, right? So we're beautifully made, badly broken, deeply in need. Of redemption. Let me wrap up with just a couple of applications, two or three applications, as we think about the image of God. First of all, praise God for how He made you. Many of you will be familiar with Psalm 139 I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. God has made you in his image, even with diminished capacities. And if you're like me, there are days you compare yourself to others who seem to have greater capacities in one area or perhaps in every area. And you say, I am not important. I am not significant. I do not matter. And the image of God would say that's an absolute lie because you matter to the eternal God who made you in his image. And as Paul will say in Acts 17, you are one of his children. He loves you with a love you can't imagine. So praise God for how you are made. Secondly, we respect others as God's image bearers. Every person we meet is an eternal creation of God made in his image. James Chapter three, James talks about how we speak to and about other people. And I love the way that James frames it. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. When I speak unkindly to or about others, I'm using something God gave me to reflect his character In his image. I'm using that to defame the image of God in another person. It is nothing short of blasphemy itself. And so James says it ought not to be so. We use our tongues to bless, we use our tongues to praise, we use our bodies and our words and our attitudes and our actions to bless and praise those made in the image of God because we desire them to know him and to reflect him. So we praise God for how he made us, respect others as God's image bearers. And then thirdly, praise God for redeeming us through Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We saw that part a few minutes ago and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God has given his own son to save us from our sin and restore us. After I pray here in a moment, we're gonna close with a song of worship and we're gonna praise God for the redemption that he offers in Christ Jesus to restore us to relationship to him and to the capacity to reflect him as his image bearers. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. You loved us before we even knew who we were, before we even were born or knew our own names, you knew our names. You love us so much that you gave your unique, only begotten son to die and rise again so we can have life. And so we pray that we would understand what it means to be made in your image, designed to represent you in our character and designed to communicate to your people that you have made, that everybody matters, We thank you for the redemption offered in Christ Jesus to save us from our sin and restore us to life with you. We thank you for this time and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.